Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and today on the Roundup, we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days. As we do each week, we take our themes for our questions today from our newsletter, our SMIE Consulting, all the SMIE news fit to share newsletter that comes out on Mondays. And dropping the link to our website for the smieconsulting.org slash subscribe, where you can subscribe to that newsletter if you'd like. Also drop the most recent addition to the newsletter in the chat, so you can check that out at your leisure and hopefully get some uh, important information that will help you uh, better understand what uh, the stories we're talking about are today. And we'll also talk a little bit, um, as we do each week, with the newsletter we've just recently launched on LinkedIn uh, that you can subscribe to there. If you're active on LinkedIn, you'll be able to get all the news stories that we cover uh, on in that newsletter. Uh, in your LinkedIn uh, profiles uh, through notifications each Monday as well, around 8.30, about a half hour earlier. And we've uh, thankfully been able to amass over 600 subscribers in the first month of uh, the newsletter. So very excited by how that uh, how the newsletter is gaining traction. And uh, hopefully those that want a little bit more of an in-depth conversation on the newsletter uh, topics that we cover each week, you'll find that right here at the Roundup on Wednesday afternoons. And we do go live on uh, both Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. So we are live simultaneously across those platforms, uh, thanks to Restream. And uh, we're coming to you today with three topics that are uh, very important ones in international uh, student enrollment management. Uh, and we talk about this first one, uh, and that is, how do you build an audience? Uh, this is one of those topics that I get asked quite a bit on the consulting side uh, when I'm uh, working with individual partner institutions, uh, trying to gain traction in particular markets. Uh, how do you do that? Um, and it's not, not an easy thing, and it's not an overnight thing, uh, and it's one that does take work, and it takes time, and it takes careful planning. And having some good content along the way certainly makes uh, does help things develop. But the answer to this question is coming out of an article that uh, our friends at uh, Inted posted this past week about building an audience. How do you build an audience? And in their response to uh, to how to, uh, they cover a lot of the topics that I, I mention all the time in reference to uh, to to universities that I'm working with, uh, whether it's uh, clients or ones I'm actually. Uh, talking to about strategies for getting your messaging out. Uh, part of the challenge is um, institutions, if they think they have a name domestically, uh, and this is always a challenge. If you do, if you have a name domestically and you have a brand recognition in certain markets domestically, you sometimes and erroneously make the assumption that you will also have. Uh, brand recognition internationally. And that's not always the case. If uh, you've not had a presence in particular markets, if you've not had active recruitment efforts in particular markets where people would know about you, you don't have partnerships with any institutions in, the, in those areas uh, that you're trying to develop a, a reputation for, it's, it's start like starting over. 
And I've uh, been work. I've worked for institutions that have had zero brand recognition in certain markets at overseas, and the expectation, uh, and coming into a new position, the expectation is that oh, you're, you're going to be able to uh, just take what we have domestically and make it make it apply internationally, and that's not always the case, and it's not uh, uh, something that's going to be done uh, automatically. Certainly not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, but there are three key elements that the team at Inted point out that are very important in developing that your audience online, uh, and that is finding your voice. And I'm a, sounds like I'm losing mine today, but uh, that's part of it is finding your voice, uh, and that it the, your voice needs to reflect uh, your overall message and your values as an institution, uh, and when. Uh, your while your brand institution brand is well established, uh, is it consistently presented and done so in a way that's understandable to different audiences? And that's the piece that I think a lot of institutions miss. Uh, for example, one institution I've worked done some consulting work for, uh, they did not have a comp plan for their international students. Uh, they were sending, that was any different than what they send their domestic students. And certain messaging that they had that applied very well and appropriately to domestic audiences uh, when when we comes to, uh, talking about affordability, uh, that uh, it focused entirely on this financial aid that students could get. Uh, but the challenge was internationally, first, they, international students couldn't fill the FAFSA form out and didn't have access to all this wonderful aid that domestic students had. And that was a challenge and a message that needed to be addressed in how they're, uh, though you could still say that, uh, talk about affordability, talk about value, perhaps as a better alternative to affordability for an overseas audience, that still touches on the same kind of uh, impact uh, that you're trying to get at with with what you when you say affordable, what you're really getting at for an international audience is is value, that the return on investment for your uh, for your for your, the tuition dollars that you pay uh, will be X, Y, and Z, as opposed to just it's affordable and uh, you, you won't graduate with a lot of debt. So that's a very different message for an international student. So uh, that is uh, voice uh, finding your voice and presenting it consistently is an important piece of that puzzle. And it, part, of it, part of what you need to do is if you don't have an idea of whether you are consistent and on point with your message uh, and your voice uh, to the audiences that you're talking about, is, is you need to audit your, uh, your, your, your social channels and find out uh, what's, what is that message that you have been sending out and is it the right one for your intended audiences. Uh, the second element of this, uh, build, how you build your audiences, uh, according to the uh, uh, Inted article, is leverage your social media audience beyond organic posts. And this is something I really can't uh, emphasize enough uh, about the relevance of this. Uh, yes, everybody, every institution will have their organic posts, the ones that they hope will be wonderful pictures and engaging content that will uh, get students uh, commenting and liking and sharing and all of that. Uh, what really, though, is uh, there are limits uh, by design with the, within the audience, within the algorithms that the, the different social networks have for how visible your content will be without added boosts, uh, ad, uh, ad revenue boosts, and uh, boosted posts, and uh, getting it in paying to get your uh, your content in front of more eyes. And unless you do that, 
uh, you're, you are limited in terms of what your outreach will be. So it's, uh, you, you want to build your audience. Yes, you have to, you have some more organic content to start, but you do need to have, uh, something that kickstarts it, uh, that gives it an added boost to uh, broaden the scope of your messaging, uh, leverages what you who you already have and encourages them to show, like and share and all that wonderful things that all those wonderful things that you have. Uh, but uh, you like, for example, on YouTube, you have videos, you might have some campus tour videos, you might have some uh, recordings of president presidential messages or uh, inaugurations or commencements and that type of thing. But do you have a lot of content that really emphasizes your message, your voice, uh, that speaks to the, to your intended audiences, your future audiences, student audiences, and parent audiences? Do you have that kind of content that speaks to them? Uh, maybe in their own language. Uh, maybe it's content that is uh, uh, talking about those outcomes, that is from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from the students directly, uh, that can add value to what you're saying, uh, what your overall message is as an institution. You, when you have your students, your faculty, your parents, uh, your alumni uh, sharing that same message and doing that through social, you're, you're really putting yourself uh, on an important uh, important level up, uh, if you will, uh, from your competitors. And speaking of competitors, uh, the, the folks at Intent drop in an important link uh, into uh, finding out how your competitors are doing how, on YouTube compared to your channel. So it's a little uh, useful stats and facts and uh, getting your, a competitor, quick competitor view on uh, who, of someone that you may, institution that you may compete with domestically or, or internationally. So that's that's an important piece. That social media piece, as I've said from day one, is is you have to live where your audience lives. And if you don't have uh, presence and content and messaging that's focused towards your prospective student audiences and their parents on social media, where they're spending the majority of their time, you're missing out. Another place that you have to have uh, be active in is search. Is, uh, is SEO matters and having someone at your institution that obviously most every web team has one, two or two or three or teams of folks that are working on SEO. Uh, do you have anyone specifically helping out on the international side? Uh, and that's what what you really need to keep keep an eye on. And just like social, uh, you you gotta have you look at the free free ways that you can uh, enhance your uh, SEO by tagging and meta tags and all of those wonderful things that you must do and uh, mobile friendly and mobile first uh, applications on your on your site. Uh, you also need to pay attention to um, the paid ways to play. Uh, to enhance who you who you are, are and how you're represented uh, in search, so there's some really important ways in terms of keyword optimization in blogs that you do, uh, linking back to all your other relevant content content on social to your website and vice versa, uh, that increases SEO. So uh, the the pay per click. Uh, is a paid search advertising uh, pay-per-click uh, is the uh, counterpart to SEO, uh, the things that you control yourself in the content you produce versus uh, what you can pay to uh, enhance uh, your uh, the eyes eyeballs on your content. So 
there's also the piece uh, uh, that they, they made they made actually three, three those are the three main points uh, in terms of finding your voice leveraging social and search and they will come uh, but they also talk about uh, knowing which platforms are the best and using user-generated content and if you're doing that and doing that well uh, you're certainly going to be putting yourself in a very good position to to leverage uh, and build your audience uh, to what you need it to be. So it's not an over, like I said, not an overnight uh, success. It's not a one hit wonder. It's one that you will need to invest in and present uh, and be con con consistent with your messaging, uh, be on top of it and be focused and, and plan for some of the things that uh, you do want to do in the end. Now, when we talk about uh, building your audience, uh, getting eyeballs interested in your institution, uh, improving your reputation in certain certain regions, certain markets, uh, there are flip sides to that. Uh, and part of that is answered in question number two. What to do with transfer outs? Now, if you've not been much on the uh, ISSS side, this might be something out it's like well a transfer uh, you got transfer students and okay we have transfer agreements articulation agreements we transfer in students all the time uh, but transfer outs is a very much a particular to Sevis, uh, where this the situation arises with with transfer outs if you're not familiar uh, quick uh, down dirty guide to what transfer outs are is these are students who uh, have been issued your i-20 have gone to the U.S. consulate or embassy in their country to get a visa, have been able to secure that visa, and have entered the country on your documents, uh, on your I-20, and uh, with a visa that says uh, they, they're able to attend your institution. And what they do uh, is one of two things. They'll either, as soon as they get in the country, uh, before orientation uh, starts, they'll give you a call and say, uh, I can't go to your school anymore. Uh, something's come up. I have a sick aunt or I need to be closer to my brother who's going to school in another state. Uh, it's a, it turns out to be very much uh, the tra with transfer outs. The, this one is, well, it's, yeah, um, yeah, pull the other one. I don't. I, you don't believe what they're saying, really. It's you, you think that they're they've basically used you to get in the country, uh, and then they they want to be transferred out. So they don't they don't enroll in your institution because they don't register for classes. So uh, before you can register them in Sevis as uh, your student, um, they request that you transfer their record to a different institution. And that happens either one of two ways. Like I said, either as soon as they enter the country, they contact you because they're in, they're in basically, and they think they can go wherever they want now. Uh, that uh, that has the one way to do it. Uh, the other way is they actually do come to campus and uh, make their case in person. That sorry, I can't stay. Uh, I need to go to a different school for whatever reason. Uh, I can't afford this school anymore. And so all of a sudden, that uh, bank statement they sent you is. Uh, uh, Two months ago that said they had enough for a year of studies now they're claiming poverty uh, some of that just proves uh, is, is cast doubt on whether they ever had that money in, in the first place to come to school in the United States or they literally don't want to come to your school they've been on campus and they say oh I gotta get out of here uh, but 
what this does mean uh, is uh, they've they've entered the country on your visa on your I-20 uh, with the uh, visa stamp in their passport from for you, and now they don't want to stay. So you basically transfer them out. Uh, they have to be obviously present a transfer out form from another institution that they're also admitted to, but didn't choose to attend or get a visa for them uh, before they came into the U.S. So. Uh, what has happened? I've been at an institution before where I, I came in, and our first uh, our uh, SEVP rep meeting we had uh, was all about transfer outs. We had in the past year 150 uh, transfer outs uh, before I came. Uh, the, f the first I, I started at this position in April, and uh, our first intake in August, we were able to get that number down to mm -hmm. uh, to I think 25 instead of 150. Still a lot, but uh, stem the tide. But these transfer outs really put your uh, institution in a negative light because that raises red flags with SEVP. Uh, and then that gets back to the consulates overseas, particularly if they're all coming from a partic uh, particular country or region. Uh, you'll find out about that next time you have a cohort applying. And at the time when those were happening at the institution, previous institution I worked at, uh, we, um, from two countries in particular, uh, in India and Nepal, uh, we would have a lot of transfer outs. And the reputation was that, uh, that uh, well, okay, well, they're just using Finley to get in, and then they're transferring out, so there must be something wrong with Finley. That was the assumption. Uh, they were able to get a visa because Finley was a decent school, and then they uh, weren't able to, uh, weren't able to uh, were looking to get into a different school that was maybe less expensive, that maybe gave them work permission right away, uh, that, and other things. So there were students that... At another institution that had transferred out and uh, had and ended up, some we were looking into where they were transferring to, and one of the schools was uh, University of North New Jersey, uh, that infamous uh, sham school that uh, uh, was uh, uh, set up by ICE to uh, entrap uh, students and uh, the uh, couriers or the uh, the agents that were getting them uh, into that institution. So. Uh, that those those are the kinds of risks you run when you have uh, large numbers of transfer outs. Now, what we're talking about here, uh, why this comes out this this past week, is you have um, DHS now investigating uh, Bangladeshi students that uh, didn't show up to their institutions uh, in Washington State, and this is very particular to Washington State. I've been hearing of similar cases of. Uh, Bangladeshi students not showing up or doing the transfer out thing in significant numbers at, con at colleges across the country. So it's not just uh, in Washington State. I know that, that, that this is happening. Uh, what uh, you have now uh, is DHS is, is taking this so seriously that it's gathered together all the international education uh, offices, office directors, uh, from those campuses in in Washington State, and has basically uh, said this is a this is a problem. We got to we got to look into this, and we're going to we can't have this uh, happen again. So 
and the Pi News article that I've dropped the link in the chat uh, on Facebook and, uh, and YouTube, it looks like, uh, will have that information uh, on what the, what the story is. But very unusual that DHS publicly is taking this step and having this, uh, this uh, meeting with all the um, international directors. Uh, they usually do it, as I said, SEVP reps will have these kind of uh, one-off conversations with institutions when they do their campus visits or uh, during the pandemic virtual visits. Uh, so this is something that does uh, does, does not look good. Um, and certainly uh, I know uh, there have been issues with uh, certain agents uh, in Bangladesh uh, basically providing fraudulent documents to students trying to get visas. So there's already a, a number of issues uh, in Bangladesh uh, for students that are trying to come uh, because they're trying to escape, frankly, a country that uh, is one of the poorer countries in the world and has uh, serious environmental issues with uh, flooding uh, during typhoon season and other climate-related climate, climate related issues. They're just trying to get out uh, low-cost, uh, uh, extremely high poverty rates, low-income um, so it's very it's it's easy to understand why they might want to uh, to come just escape the country to get to the United States and they, they see education as that ticket to do so. Uh, but the reality is they they uh, uh, they'll do whatever they can to get here. Some in some cases uh, and that's causing a lot of these transfer outs and uh, challenges for on these where these students just no show and. Uh, use the opportunity of that visa that got them in the door to kind of disappear into the underground economy. Uh, so it's troubling, and certainly if your campus ever gets in this situation and is in one of these meetings with your SCVP rep or in a larger meeting with DHS officials and uh, that are looking at where these students are coming from, if there are particular agencies that they're coming through, they're going to find that information out, and that's something that you'll want to know and be proactive about and either cancel contracts with them or if, they're, if you find out students working with one of those agents, even if you don't have any agent contracts with uh, Bangladeshi agencies, uh, you just know that's a red flag and you won't accept uh, students who are applying through them. Uh, that's probably the kind of the end results of some of these and uh, some of these actions that probably will come out of this investigation. So uh, it's, a, it's a real challenge because it's a frustration, obviously number one, because uh, knowing all the work that you have to do as an uh, international admissions office and working with your international student services staff to first admit them to your campus, second to do all the paperwork that you need to do to and evaluate them and, and get uh, get their I-20s done and get the I-20s sent to them, uh, making sure that uh, they're, they have all they need to, to get what they need done to get the visa. And then you find out that you have 25, if you have 50 students from Bangladesh and 40 of them uh, are deciding to transfer out or, or no-show uh, after uh, for arrival, uh, even though they came into the country with your visa, with your I-20, uh, that has consequences um, on your uh, morale in your office. Uh, certainly that is a big downer, uh, but it can potentially lead to uh, red flags with CVP and, and DHS. So uh, it's something that you just have to always be vigilant about and keep on top of articles like this that are coming down the pike so that you're aware and that you're, you really are working only with trusted agents in countries like this that might have uh, some, some less than stellar reputations for uh, students uh, coming to the United States. So uh, 
not a not a pleasant topic to discuss, but certainly one that it's a reality in this day and age, um, in the in the world, wider world we live in. Uh, but we certainly want to be um, uh, be sympathetic to those that are, are dealing with this, uh, and certainly I've been at institutions where that has been an issue, so I, I get it. But uh, certainly not a pleasant situation and one that uh, does need to be addressed immediately. It's an all-hands-on-deck. What are we going to do to prevent this from happening again? And those are not fun conversations to have, but ones that must be had at times like these. So let's get on to our final topic of the day, and that is, are you ignoring your international alumni? And this is one of those topics that matters to me uh, more than anything else uh, in international education because look at what you do every year to bring students into your institution. Uh, you've uh, sold them the promise. You've given them all the great ideas of what your campus will be uh, and what uh, your college or university can do for them and how they will, uh, how they will, it will change their lives for the better. Uh, the reality is that messaging is great if you have uh, institution that is fully bought into delivering on what it preaches, uh, walking the walk, uh, walking the talk, so to speak. Uh, and that means uh, you, what you say and, and what you're in terms of your values, your messaging, your, uh, all, the, um, all the principles you have as institutions, that you actually live up to those. Uh, and I say that because uh, oftentimes there are significant disconnects. Uh, when it comes to international student enrollment management. Uh, and I say that uh, because few campuses really connect the dots all the way from prospect to alumni. Uh, and those that do are the ones that present a unified approach as an institution that are consistent with their messaging and actually in practice what they preach uh, and live that out and have focus on all parts of that international student journey. Not just stu the, the student journey, but the international student journey. Because as we all know, as international educators, what international students go through is different uh, on many different levels. It is fundamentally different in terms of their admissions process, in terms of their entry into the country, in terms of their life in the United States, what they can do, what they can't do. And when they're looking towards the end of their, their uh, academic careers, they're preparing for uh, internships and jobs and graduation, and they want to be excited about that next step. They may already have a job waiting for them back home, but they want to know that they're getting the best preparation they can for what that next step is, wherever they're planning to go home, whether they're planning to go on a further graduate study, uh, or if they're planning to go into the work world right away and get their OPT and start work. Uh, they want to make sure that they're as prepared as they can be uh, because their experience and the requirements and everything else about their time in the United States is different, fundamentally different. So if your campus only approaches international students as if they were any other student, any other domestic student from your home state or neighboring state, wherever they might be, if they're treated the same, in housing, in terms of employment, in terms of career prep, in terms of how they're treated or even tracked as alumni, uh, this is a this is a challenge that uh, if they're if they're not given attention that's uh, customized to them as international students, then you're failing them uh, in a lot of ways. So, are you ignoring your international alumni? Is actually 
uh, better better said is, are you inter ignoring your international students after they arrive on campus? And everybody has an international student office that has to meet with them, and they have international student advisors that uh, they have to check in with, uh, register with uh, every every semester, that uh, sign their I-20s for travel, that help them with CPT, uh, getting the new I-20s for CPT, and filing OPT and change of status and uh, extension of stays, all of these things. That office is an a function office. It's not an experience office. It can be if they also do programming and orientation and all those other wonderful things. But if it doesn't, and it, if that's the only thing that they have is that, that the, inter the international office only helps me with immigration stuff and nothing else. And there isn't, uh, isn't anything else that's specific for them in, during their experience. There might be some international student organizations. Great, that's fine, and they, hopefully there is. Uh, but are, is there programming done for them? Are there uh, is there housing available while there's students that uh, is is available while students are on break uh, during uh, spring break, winter break, uh, summer break? Is housing available for those that can't get home? Certainly, uh, the pandemic uh, really stretched a lot of campuses in this regard in terms of being able to provide housing for internationals during a pandemic when most. Uh, uh, most of the rest of the students weren't on campus. Uh, certainly at larger public schools, that was an issue. Uh, but have your international students felt like they've been seen as international students by your institution? Uh, that your institution has services for them that answered their not only their day-to-day -day needs as international students, but that help prepare them for that next step. So this isn't just an are you ignoring your international alumni, which to be honest, most campuses do because they don't, they don't bother tracking them uh, after they graduate and they find it complicated and there's uh, it's, uh, to know everything that they need to know about every, every country in the world where students might go, it's, it, it seems a little bit cumbersome and a bit uh, of a burden. But the reality is most campuses who are ignoring their international alumni, uh, I've been ignoring them as international students first. Uh, they're, uh, they will do everything they can to bring them in the door, make them feel happy before they get to campus. But once they get to campus, it's sink or swim. Uh, and the campuses that, that will succeed, are, that are much more likely to succeed with regard to international alumni uh, are those that are actually engaged in their students' lives indiv individually, uh, internationally, uh, throughout their time as students. Not just in that uh, when they graduate, here's here's your cap and gown, here's the here's your uh, user. You get to keep your email address and you can access our alumni network, but it doesn't really have anything for them. Uh, they're treated just like any other alum, uh, but they have different needs, and that's uh, that's a piece of the puzzle that most schools drop frankly. Uh, they may be very good all the way up through, maybe have integrated services all the way up through career services, helping them find that job. But then when they become alumni, uh, they might drop the ball and just don't track uh, and don't recognize them and don't invest in them as much as they, as they can and should. Uh, the, the article that I dropped in the chat is from NetNatives. It's actually a downloadable white paper uh, that they've developed on international alumni, on uh, dealing with alumni, uh, and talking about digital marketing to alumni, uh, what you can do to, to make your case uh, to, that, to those students. Uh, having uh, that international alumni can actually be, as they specifically highlight this, that uh, that connecting with your uh, overseas alumni, they don't necessarily get 
the uh, fundraising aspect of what an alumni means in the United States, advancement offices, contact them for donations and all that. And But that's that's not really an understood concept and certainly it won't be if you've never talked about that during uh, their time as students. And if there's only outreach by the alumni office in that final month or two before they become graduates, then you've missed opportunities there. But in terms of what international alumni can do, if you have them uh, have, have they been active parts of your campus? That those are ones that you want to highlight and call call back, call on for success story testimonials on. Hey, I graduated. I was from this uh, this country. I came to this your school and uh, did, a, did did this degree, and now I'm doing X, Y, and Z. That's the kind of student that can really make a difference in, for your future students. Uh, having those connected alums uh, overseas that you can then leverage uh, on the recruitment side again. So it's a full circle experience that if they've tr had positive experiences throughout their time, they've become uh, successful graduates or uh, back in their home countries or third countries and they are excited about their institution, uh, they're proud of being a, a graduate of your school, those are the kinds of students you need to know about, graduates you need to know about, alumni that you have to have as part of your recruitment process, project, uh, that you want to make them feel welcome, you want to engage them at every opportunity and make them feel a part of the process. So we hope that you can do that. Uh, so not an easy easy task, but uh, definitely check out that white paper from Net Natives. Uh, you'll you'll get some good talking points out of that that I think you'll find some real value in. So that's all my voice can stand for this week uh, on the midweek roundup. So I appreciate all of you sticking with me today, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Have a great day. Cheers.